Thank you, Anna. Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Scott. It's been a couple weeks. I am so excited to be with you here as we wrap up our sermon series, Drawn to the Margins. And uh, we've talked about all sorts of marginalized people in uh, the last five weeks. Today, I feel like might be maybe the uh, strangest place for a marginalized person and yet the easiest for, for many of us to identify. Nicodemus at the outset has everything that a person could need. He has status and power. And yet he comes to Jesus looking for something more, something more powerful. And that's what I said as I prepped all weekend. I thought, golly, this could be the most convicting and empowering drawn to the margin series yet because so many of us may find ourselves in similar places as Nicodemus. Let's pray and we'll begin. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning, for these words, for what your spirit longs to do in your people, to draw people to yourself, to wake them up and tell them they're loved and to open their hearts to a full gift and revelation of your spirit alive in them. God, we pray that you would meet us now in these moments ahead. And all God's people said, amen. The story today, our title is called Nicodemus, A New Identity. We're going to be looking at Nicodemus as kind of an identity shift from old and kind of wrestling with what he believes to a new identity by the end. And we'll study kind of a number of different places of John 3, anchored, of course, in, uh, in all of John, anchored in John 3, a new identity. And what happens here at the beginning of John is, is a new power has, has emerged and people are, are awoken to what they only dreamed about. It reminded me of um, a mentor of mine who I meet with and pray with on a monthly basis who's a bit of a guide to deepening my own encounters with the Holy Spirit. And um, he told me this story, how as a Presbyterian pastor and, and kind of a working theology at times of Father, Son, and Holy Bible, like the Holy Spirit was kind of missing from his, from his practice, that he, was, um, he, he encountered an interesting conundrum where he was leading a Bible study in a jail ministry, and uh, it was a jail ministry for teens was the setting, and he was doing a Bible study out of, out of Ephesians, out of Ephesians 2, where it talks about the great power, the power available through the gospel, where the writer Paul says, it, well, sorry, Ephesians 1, where Paul says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would know him, but he said it's more than knowing. I pray that your eyes, your heart would be enlightened in order that you would know the hope to which he's called for, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ up from the dead. This power, power, power. The Greek word is dunamis, like the power of just like, wow. And so this Presbyterian friend of mine is leading this jail Bible study. He's like, it's all about that, guys. I want you not just to know it. I want you to experience it, the power. And this young man sitting in a circle of chairs said, I'm in, but where's the power? And the guy leading the Bible study, my friend's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, where's the power? Like, I'm so in for that kind of faith. Like, who has it? How do I get it? Like, because I grew up watching people claim this doctrine of faith, they didn't seem to be tapped into that power source. So if you can show me the power, I recognize that that's a, a source that my, my, my life desperately needs. I'm hungry for more power. This question launched my friend into more encounters with the divine Holy Spirit, Jesus, um, in the presence of the Holy Spirit that has changed his faith life completely. And now as we meet monthly, we have these conversations of where the power is. 
Because for me as a young man, I mean, I've shared my story often, but I was raised in the church and I was raised not seeing a lot of power. I saw rules, I saw doctrine, I saw people getting dressed up on, on Sundays and, and bless the hearts of the faith the community I was raised in. But just me personally, I wanted more power. And it wasn't until I saw the Spirit of God alive in, in a young life leader who was like kind of, you know, doing this incarnational ministry. I said, I don't know if I believe in Jesus, but if my life looked like that person, that kind of power, then I would follow Jesus forever. And that's Nicodemus. Like he has everything except for the thing he desires most, this encounter with the divine. And standing in front of Jesus, his old identity melts away. I mean, that's the thing. When you, when you read this text, you have to kind of grapple with, why is he there to begin with? What is Nicodemus looking for? Why would he come to Jesus at night? He's looking for the real thing. He's hungry and desperate for something beyond the reach of his current religion. And this is what I think is the biggest entry point for us that we've talked about in the last five weeks, leprous men and, and demonized little girls and all these marginalized people. Christ's ministry always is, is most fully expressed to people at the margin because they're desperate. And so we've talked about that, but the marginalized person in today's text is this man, Nicodemus. And this might be our story. Nicodemus is busy. Nicodemus is a leader. Nicodemus is educated. Nicodemus is religious. Nicodemus is trying. And Nicodemus is utterly and completely empty. Can you, can you, can you see it in the text? He, he's, he's trying, but he's so desperate for something beyond his religion and his rules. He wants an encounter with the real thing, and it puts him in front of Jesus. And so this might be our story, because in the Gospel of John, John doesn't talk about salvation much. He does once. He doesn't talk about the kingdom of God much beyond today's text. But what John often talks about is these themes of light and these themes of life, And what John is getting at throughout his gospel story is that your life now will be different when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, when you are born again, surrendering your old identity, working your way through this wrestling match of the old becoming new. And when John says, when you live like that, fully receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, when your life is laid down entirely at the altar of Jesus, that's when life flows. That's where the light flows. And so may we be a community, women and men, pursuing this new identity. Because if you're like me, there's a lot of Nicodemus story in my own story I've been wrestling with all week long. Let's begin here in this encouragement to be born again. Let's let's look at Nicodemus' old self and then the wrestling match and we'll get to his new self. And when we study Nicodemus, we're hoping to put ourselves in the story. The Bible story doesn't matter unless you're encountering your own life as well. So, so the old identity, look at verses 1 through 3 of John 3. Nicodemus didn't understand the spiritual life. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he's both a Pharisee and part of the Sanhedrin. He's one of the most powerful men in all of Israel. He came to Jesus at night, pause right there. 
Now, scholars are divided about this, but the fact that he comes at night means a great deal in the Gospel of John, because John is constantly playing with, with these like elements of light and dark. And so either, and you can pick your medicine here, either Nicodemus was really busy doing religion, like that's an easy entry point. He's so busy, he comes at night. Here's the problem. Nobody does anything at night in, in ancient Israel. 2,000 years ago, they operated by the sun. So when the, when the sun came up, the day began. And though they had flame and candles and all this, when the sun went down, you were to your home like it was, it was, you know, the day was over. So the fact that he comes at night, we're supposed to be paying attention. He's either so overwhelmed with the chaos of his life or what's likely the case, he's coming at night under the cover of darkness. Because as a Pharisee and part of the Sanhedrin, He's, he has to be careful of who knows he's going looking for Jesus. He's very careful that the people around him and, and the, 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 this well-curated identity, that they don't know he's hungry for something he doesn't have. Man, how convicting is that? Because go stand out in this commons right after the service, and you're going to hear a lot of Nicodemus at night conversations. How are you? I'm well. And you? I mean, it's like, we just go there, right? Because it's like, either it's so complicated what's actually going on or so vulnerable. And we hear this all the time. You know what's wrong with the church today? No, I have no idea. I've only worked in the church for 10 years. Tell me, please. Well, what's wrong with the church is people can't be real. I get it. It's a challenge for all of us. I struggle with it too. He comes at night. He says, Rabbi. He doesn't call him Lord. He calls him teacher. The people that call Jesus Lord when they come to him, man, their healing is almost instantaneous oftentimes because they know they need something. But the ones that come to him as a teacher, if you're trying to get your whole life transformed by just thinking different, you're missing the element of the gospel that says you can't think your way to Jesus. You've got to be born again. You've got to submit your thinking to just receiving the gift of the Spirit. And yes, God encounters us in our, in our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy. It's our head and our heart. But for many of us in the room, it's an easier place to get to my head. It's a harder place to get to my heart. Teacher, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. No one could perform the signs you're doing if it were God were not with him. So he sees the power at work in Jesus and he's like, ugh. There's something in him I don't yet have. It's the power of Christ that draws Nicodemus. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. This is, he's just going to break it down. Like, this is it. I, I'm going to contradict your legalism with spirit and power. I'm going to, you know, Nicodemus, you know, I know that you've got a lot going for you. And if we jumped ahead of it in verse 10, Jesus says, you're the, it's a definite article in the Greek, you're the high teacher of Israel. Now, scholars are debated. That means he's one of the finest. Others say, no, Jesus knows what he's talking about. Nicodemus might be the best teacher in the entire country. It's the teacher, Jesus says. How are you the teacher and you don't yet get the story? Like what you've missed it. Your head's got it. Your heart hasn't been changed. You haven't been born again. So Jesus is like, I'm going to just contradict your legalism with more spirit and more power. You're an expert in religion, Nicodemus, but you can't be, you can't see beyond the physical world. Like so convicting for us today. 
Because we can like, oh man, Jesus, if I can just see things black and white, if I can know how this relationship ends, if I knew when this pain ended, if I could see when this health diagnosis would change, if I could just see more with my eyes, then my faith would follow. Jesus is like, no. No, the faith to which you're called for is this one where your old identity needs to be born again. It's interesting. No one sees the kingdom unless they're born again. And so there's something in this Nicodemus, this leader, this religious man that's pushing him away. And Jesus says, pay attention to what feels empty. Pay attention to what feels empty. This is the margin that I want to occupy. Okay, now this is where, like, okay, Nicodemus is kind of, we've been talking about marginalized people, and then, you know, that kind of gives us a heart for the most marginalized like our community. But this is where Jesus says, find yourself in the story. Find those gaps in your own discipleship journey that are the hardest to submit to me, Jesus. Your stress, your work, your future, your relationships, your pain, your, your, your like, you name it. But if you're clinging to it, says Jesus, I'm going to ask you to, be, to let it go. You can't cling to the old identity and enter fully into this new life of the spirit. You must be born again. And the Greek here is geneho, to be born, like the same root as Genesis, anothen, from above. You must be born from above. You must be born anew. Or one translation is you must be born to the brim. I love that. So this is a challenge because in, in kind of evangelical Christianity, we've used born again as a, Christ, as a term. We say like, well, are they born again? It's not, it's not inherently bad at all. Born again, it's a, it's a statement to say that I've confessed my life as a sinner. I've, I, I've, I've committed my life to following Jesus for my, you know, sum, submitting my life down. I want to be born again. Jesus, I want to enter fully into this life. But here's the problem. Like when we use born again as that, it's a label, it's a designation. It's like saying that this process of laying our life at the feet of Jesus is like, is just something I did then and now it's over. But what Jesus says here is he's like, be committed to this born again process. It's what you're continuing to become. The work is finished as you lay your life down at at my feet, says Jesus. But I want to give you this gift, this life from above. I want to fill you with the life of the Spirit over and over and over again. I want to do this work in you. It's a gift. So if you're hearing works righteousness, if you're like, no, but I've been trying. That's the Nicodemus mistake. He's trying his hardest and he's working his way to God. It's, it's like, you know, the young rich ruler, like Jesus, like he wants to encounter you. Everything you're doing to work your way to salvation. Can I earn this born again moment? Jesus like, no, but be born again and again and again and again where you're receiving. The posture is receiving And this is powerful because this is almost a warning sign. The life to which we're called will be revealed not in our doctrine, but in our discipleship. Or let's say it another way. Your capacity to follow will be revealed in your decision to receive. This is a big one. This might be your big idea for the day. And we talk about a lot about leadership. We go to conferences and we read books and we want to be great Christian leaders. But actually, Jesus most of the time is asking us not to lead, but to follow. And so if we're going to follow well, our ability to follow will be revealed in our capacity to receive, to be like in last week's text, the little children amongst us 
to open up our hearts and to receive all that God wants to put into our life, the, the free gift of the Spirit falling on anyone willing to surrender their life to Jesus. But in this way, our posture gets blocked because we start to grab on to our old identity, to our children or to our dating relationships or to our old pain or to our designs for the future. We just, we want to do this work of clutching and grabbing. And what Jesus is saying in the text today is your ability to follow me will increase as you open yourself up, as you increase your capacity to receive. So when we find ourselves where we're just this idols of success and busyness and worldliness, those things can marginalize us. They can marginalize us even to ourselves. And this might be the hardest margin to overcome. I'm, I'm trying so hard, Lord. And he's like, I know. But you got to be born again. you got to just open yourself up to what I want to do in you. And so I said it last week at Camp Out, I'll say it again, that the things in the text, in the, in the Gospels, what makes Jesus angry, do a Bible study this week. Jesus get, gets angry every time there's a barrier towards more of him in people's lives. Angry in the temple, angry to the disciples trying to block the children, angry to disciples trying to block his journey to Jerusalem. So Jesus, therefore, we can deduce, Jesus gets angry at barriers, He doesn't get angry at you when you have a barrier, but he grieves and he so wants to crash through that barrier so that you can be more full of the Holy Spirit. So then our work as a church is like, oh yeah, I get that. That's lovely. No, here's the thing. We have to do this work. What are the barriers right now, Lord? What are the places of fear? What are the places of identity that I'm clinging to? Not not because I'm trying to be a sinner, but because I'm human. Jesus, open me up. Open me up. And if you're a follower of Jesus, your life should look like every single day going like this, or going like this, or worshiping with worship music in your car, or sitting at your desk before the kids wake up in the scriptures, or in meditative prayer where you, this is the whole thing. Jesus, I know my tendency is to clutch and grab, but today I give my life to you. That's what surrender looks like in the text. That's what Nicodemus can't do. And being born again is the one thing he hadn't done yet. And that's what Jesus said is like, if you can just release yourself over to the gift of the Spirit, Nick, and just walk with me, I can totally restore you. Jesus must encounter those barriers, those places of your life where you're holding resistance. And this is where the teaching gets hard. Because a lot of us in the room are really good at kind of giving God the 90%. Like, hey, we're we're at church on a Sunday in June. Aren't we already kind of like good Christians? You know, like I'm, or I'm giving my tithe or I'm offering my time back at my kid's school or in our community. Like we're, we're good at offering what's comfortable, but it's often that last little bit that Jesus wants to encounter that will reveal total discipleship. And I learned this like the hard way because this man who I meet with now, he was part of this journey of the spirit in my life because two years ago, he prayed for me. And as they prayed for me, they said God felt like he gave them a vision of my heart 
And they prayed and they laid this word of prophecy on me and it freaked me out and made me a little bit angry and I had to kind of wrestle with the Lord and here was the vision. It's got your heart is fleshy and good and the Lord delights in it but there's one little part of your heart that's dying. What is it? It's that part that you haven't surrendered for him and his glory. And anything unsurrendered in our heart, the Lord will let us hold on to it but it's under our own power. I don't know about you, but I'm not powerful enough to redeem my own heart. And so what the Lord is saying in this Nicodemus text is, I want your whole heart. Find those places in you, those last 5%, those last 10%, those old hurts, those things that you're clinging to, and do the daily work of opening yourself up. This is what being born from above looks like, or born to the brim. Receive it. Your ability to follow will be directly impacted by your ability to receive. Receive the gift that God wants to give you through the Spirit. And Nicodemus lives into this, into this kind of wrestling match. And this is our second point around the wrestling that Nicodemus' conversion models for us. And every one of us in the room, we wrestle with our faith. If you're not wrestling, it's a little bit like a marriage where it's like sometimes we're not fighting. We're like, it's, it's actually a bad sign because the love has grown so cold. Like for most of us, our faith walk, well, it'll be at times a wrestling match. How does my old identity die? How do I fully receive this gift of the new identity? Look at verses 4 through 11. From John 3, verses 4, how can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. He doesn't get the life of the Spirit, even though he's been teaching the Scriptures his whole life. Jesus said, truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. You cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? He's wrestling. I don't get it. God, what does this look like? You are Israel's teacher. You are the teacher in Israel, says Jesus. And you don't understand... Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify of what we've seen, but still you people, you religious people, do not accept our testimony. We can pause there. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. He's been around the faith long enough, and he still doesn't get that it's not what he builds himself up to, but what he lays at the altar of obedience that God can really call discipleship. And this is really interesting, because Many of us can spend time around Jesus without encountering the love of Jesus. We know of him, but we haven't spent time with him. Certainly I, in certain times and seasons of my faith journey, have fallen into this. And it it scares me at times how comfortable we can become with faith and yet disconnected from this powerful spirit of God that comes as we surrender. There's this story in Luke 4 where Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town of Galilee, and in the Sabbath, he taught people. They were amazed at his teaching. His words had authority. So he's doing a church service, and in the service, after some time, after the teaching, after the healing, after the muffin hour, in the middle of the church, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried at the top of his voice, go away, what do you want with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy? I know who you are, the one of God. Be quiet, Jesus said. Come out of him. And the demon threw the man down before them and came out without injuring him. This, is, this freaks me out at a level. 
Because oftentimes we can get so comfortable in our faith, so comfortable in our church services that we're missing divine encounter. We're missing face down and abandoned. I am a sinner, but by your grace, I'm living into this new identity. So Jesus says, we must be born again. We must wrestle with those old elements from our old identity that want to cling to us and leave them behind. And to live into this filling of the Holy Spirit moment. It's knowing stuff about Jesus isn't enough. We must be filled. He says, you speak of what you know, but you don't know this. You've got the law without the Spirit. It's no faith at all. And how often in contemporary Christianity do we make do with a faith of rules and regulations? It's not enough. Jesus says, I want you to be born again. And then he compares it to a rushing wind. So this, plus what happens in Acts 2, is what gives us, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, like a wind. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And though in our tradition at Bethany, we haven't always made a big deal about this, it is a big deal in the history of the church. This is seven weeks to the day after Easter. And what we celebrate at Pentecost is what happens when the Holy Spirit transforms rules and faith into the, into the real, true evidence essence of Christianity. The disciples are gathered in the upper room, Acts 2, verse 1 through 3, the day of Pentecost came. They're all together in one place. The disciples are together, they're worshiping, but they're not quite sure what's next. Jesus has ascended to heaven, and suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, we don't, Pastor Iwell did a great sermon on Acts 2 a couple weeks ago. You can go back and listen to Acts 1, Acts 2 about being filled with the Holy Spirit. The fact of the matter is, if we think the Spirit doesn't want to fill us like a rushing wind, we've missed what Jesus is saying in John 3. Now, I don't, I don't want to right now for the moment get into debating of gifts and you know, when gifts are given, whatever else, but all we're supposed to know from John 3 is Jesus saying, this life of faith is more than rules and regulations. It's you laying your life down to so encounter this risen Lord through the gift of the Spirit, and, and it'll change your entire life. Nicodemus is wrestling with this. We don't know how John 3 kind of ends. Jesus goes into that kind of end discourse and Nicodemus just kind of slides out of the story. But we'll see Nicodemus again. In John 7, it says again, because we should be scared, whenever our faith looks more like religion and rules than encounter with the Spirit of God, we're, oh, we got to wrestle with that. Because in John 7, the leaders of Israel, they want to stone Jesus, and it's Nicodemus in John 7 who says, let's not rush to judgment. Like, we don't know what this guy's doing yet. He actually advocates for Jesus. So he comes in John 3 under the cover of night. John 7, he's, he's still in this wrestling, but you can tell the spirit is, he, he, something's going on with him. And we're going to see him again at the end of the story, at the end of John, John 19. It's brilliant. So this is it. We're called to, to live into this new, full identity where it's like more than rules and regulations. I want to live this life of faith. I want to be born again, this gift from above being filled by the Spirit. That's the call, every one of us. More and more and more Spirit in our lives, taking our life and opening our hands and saying, Lord Jesus, I, I clutch too much to my old identity. Today, this day, I want to offer it all to you. When I, uh, some years ago, I was playing this 
this sport, uh, an e-sport called fantasy football. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because, man, it's Father's Day next week and I want you to come back to church. I don't want to publicly shake. It's actually super fun. Guys bond over it. And, and here's how it works. You draft real players. You put them on your make-believe team. And then you, if they perform well, you perform well. Like nothing could be further than a sport than this, right? And in my own story, uh, I got invited to a Seahawk game. I mean, you know, that's a gift. A buddy of mine, super generous. We're going to a game. We're like in CenturyLink. We're playing the 49ers at a time when that game still mattered. Like they were still good. And like we're cheering and going nuts and it's the big game and we're all part of it as fans. And, you know, we're like the civic pride of Seattle. But here's the problem. On my miniature game, my fantasy football, I had the San Francisco 49er running back going. He was on my team, my little make-believe team on my phone. So even though there was a game going on, I'm like stuck staring at my phone and I'm secretly wishing the Seahawks do bad because Frank Gore can do good. We get about halfway through. My, my buddy gives me a couple like, dude, what's, you know, finally he's like, you're missing it. Are you crazy? You're staring at your phone. You're wanting your guy to do better. Like, how dumb are you? Like, sometimes we need people we love to just kind of point out how we're missing it. Put the phone away. That next season, I kind of gave up fantasy football. I'm not judging you. I might be back someday. (laughs) Don't miss the life of faith. Don't miss the life to which Jesus has called you. Don't get stuck in its rules and regulations or it's somebody's opinion about Jesus through the spirit of God wants to so come alive in you that as you lay your life down and open up your hands in this day by day by day fashion, his spirit will live in you, will fall on you over and over and over again. And the moments when I'm connected to the Holy Spirit, when the, when the Spirit bumps, remember we don't call them goosebumps anymore because I don't A like birds and B like goose, like whatever. Like these are Spirit bumps. When the Spirit of God is on you, when you're connected to Jesus' Spirit, when you're worshiping God in adoration, next Saturday night at Trinity Presbyterian, when your life is just open up and you're singing songs of praise, there's no better feeling. You're in the game. He's like, live like that. That's what faith looks like. That's what I'm calling you to. Leave the old behind. Wrestle through this stuff and enter into the new identity. And this is the new identity for Nicodemus that he provides a bit of a model for us. Jesus kind of continues in this monologue, verses 12 through 16. Jesus says, I've spoken to you of earthly things, Nick, and you don't believe. How will you believe I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. He kind of, now he's going to do a correlating thing with numbers because Nicodemus would understand it's the book of numbers. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He's kind of giving a foreshadow of how the story will end. So that everyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life and him. Now, we've done that verse pretty well in in the Christian church. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But remember what I said earlier. For John, it's about eternal life now. The life of forever changing today. My, my future salvation, will I someday meet Jesus face to face? Will I stand? Will I, will I come into heaven and see those who have passed before me? There'll be my son there. There'll be my friends there. I want to go home. But if I spend these next 40 years waiting for it, I've lost the very life that I've been given. So make today count. 
Make your life count. I know you clutch and you grab to the old. I do too. But may we be a church, open us up, spirit fall on us. Another prophet in our midst who said to me recently, he said, Scott, God has a word for you. Receive. It's a gift. All the, all the gifts, everything good in my life, all a gift. Will you receive the life through the spirit that he just wants to pour onto you? He loves you. His grace is for you. Because there's one thing you hear today, just know that. You're in the game. But he so wants you to let that old self go and live fully into this new identity. A relationship transcending just what you believe to just embolden you to how you behave. Not trying to earn his love, no, but just like you've been changed. It's all a gift. One of the most incredible things in this story um, is for Nicodemus, he's totally transformed by Jesus by the end of the story. He's totally transformed. Because when you read John 19, and I'll paraphrase it now, you can read it. But in John's gospel, when Jesus has been nailed to the tree and the city that worshipped him as Messiah six days ago now, or five days ago now, that calls him a criminal and spits at him and jeers at him as he's crucified by the Romans. Only two men, two, lots of women, okay, that's a different sermon, different day, lots of women are there, like, loving him, grieving for him, they'll be at the tomb in a couple days, but on this day, on Good Friday, there's two men that go to Pilate, get permission walk across town, and lay all of their identity at the cross. It's Joseph Arimathea. He shows up in all the Gospels. But in John's telling of it, Nicodemus is there too. And it says that Nicodemus provides 75 pounds, 75 pounds of herbs, some multiple of this. 75 pounds is meant to be demonstrative of a new identity, 75 pounds of burial herbs that Nicodemus brought to lay Jesus into the tomb would have been a year's worth of wages. Would have been so sacrificial financially, but more than that. Because for Nicodemus to walk across Jerusalem, remember he's the teacher, he's the leader. I don't don't care about the old story anymore. And he and Joseph go, and they take the body of Jesus down. And when you kind of put yourself in that story, that seems like a really gruesome illustration of love. And they carry Jesus to the garden tomb that scholars think Joseph would have purchased for himself, and they set the table for the resurrection. They didn't even know what Jesus was going to do next. Can you see it? New identity. Like literally covered in the blood of Christ. I don't care what people say anymore about me. I'm so tired of doing this by my own strength and my own power. Have it. Have it. You can have it all, Lord. The life of faith, your ability to follow, will be revealed in your capacity to receive. So receive it, church. Over and over and over again, this gift of the Spirit, this day-by-day habit of opening yourself up. You're in two places this morning. I don't mean to give you a false binary, but some of you are like, 
I'm an old identity person. I'm stuck in, in an old hurt, an old pain. I'm not ready to open up. I get it, and I love you, and I'm for you, so I'm not going to push you. But know that you're clutching to the very thing that Jesus wants to set you free from. The old has to become new. Others, your new identity, this is your story living into this gift of the Spirit. Be encouraged. Keep opening day by day. And know that your acts of mercy to people on the margin set the table for Jesus to do more and more miracles of power in our community. And Bethany North was part, like the large part, of just welcoming our third refugee family through World Relief uh, recently in the last six weeks. So third time people from Bethany, and particularly Bethany North, have done this. Months and months of training. They're there at the airport saying, welcome to America, and then they walk with families to get them settled. It's, it's love to people on the margins. So it's your love and sacrifice to the most marginalized in our community that actually becomes witness to God's very big love. So I see you, Bethany. Keep at it. You know, as we, as we close this morning, I'm going to call the band up as we close in worship. You may have heard, if you're on our e-newsletter, that I'm heading off on sabbatical uh, with my family this summer, starting in July. And people keep saying, what do you, um, you know, what do you want for that? Like, what, is your, what are you thinking about that? What, what will that be like? I'm like, I, I don't really know. I haven't done it. But for 10 years, we've built this church. And I just, I just so want our legacy to be men and women filled with the Holy Spirit, opening up our lives. Heather um, ordered this book recently, uh, How to Be Filled with the Spirit. I just started in on it yesterday. This is a book by Tozer, simple little book. Um, it's a, it's a quote I want to give us as we close today. Tozer says about the Spirit, he says, it's not just a win. The Spirit of God is a person. Put that in capital letters. The Holy Spirit is not only a being having another mode of existence, it's a person. If you think of the Holy Spirit as literally being a wind or a breath and you think of him as non-personal or non-individual, but the Spirit has will and intelligence and feeling and knowledge like any person has. You may say, I know that. And Tozer continues, and this just like, I felt like this was a word for our community. Tozer says, in a sermon given decades ago, many of us have grown up on the theology that accepts the Holy Spirit as a person, even as a divine person, but for some reason never did us any good. We're as empty as ever. We're as joyless as ever. We're as far from peace as ever. We're as weak as ever. What I want to do is tell you the old things, but while I'm doing it to encourage your heart to make them yours now. And to walk into the living, throbbing, vibrating heart of them so that from here, on, your, from here on, your life will be different. So I want you to close your eyes right now. I want you, if you're willing, to take a risk. I want you to be in a posture of opening yourself up. If our ability to follow Christ will be reflected in our capacity to receive. If you're feeling courageous this morning, I want you to open up your hands. I want you to open up. I want you to, those things that you've been clinging to, the old story, I want you to open up. This is the amazing miracle of today's message. This gift of the new life, this new identity, it's all a gift. Receive it. Prepare your heart for it. Tomorrow morning, get up and open your hands again and drive in your car. The Lord says, I see you, ter- I see you working. I see you exhausted. I see you. I love you. I'm for you. 
Will you open yourself up to this divine gift of the Spirit I long to put in your heart? Would we be that kind of church that on our lips we would just have our prayers poured out, Lord Jesus, today, I'm yours, old to new. Everything that I've been clinging to today, Lord Jesus, I give to you. And now, Holy Spirit, we commit our lives fully to you and to your glory. Take these open hands as a posture of worship. Encourage these saints before you, Lord. These women and men who have fought the good fight, who have worked and wrestled and fought and clung. And they're here today, Lord, to get a fresh filling of your spirit, of your divine grace poured out into their lives. We're wide open this morning. Bless and encourage. Pour yourself into our lives. May we be born again and again and again and again. Today we say yes. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people say amen. Amen. As we go into this song, just take a moment if you need it. We will stand and sing. Your standing is in a posture of like, I was old and now I'm new, but it's just, hey, I'm ready to enter into this. For some of us, we need some time and space because it's been a rough season. That's okay. Let's close and worship together. There'll be prayer team members down front at the end of the service that would long to pray with you as well. Let's open ourselves up to the gift of the Spirit and be born again and again and again now.